Hello and welcome to The Artist Appeals, the podcast where we answer the question, how do you make a living with your art? In this podcast, we interview leading industry experts, working artists and creatives about how they make a living with their art. We seek the secret sauce to how do you make a living with your art? How do you make money with your art? So whether you're a photographer, a graphic designer, an illustrator, a hand letterer, are you a designer, a sculptor, a painter, whatever your medium may be, we have answers. We interview everybody we can get our hands on, leading industry experts from craft company CEOs to working entrepreneur, artistpreneurs. So welcome to the Artist Appeals. I am your host, Erin Sparler, and this is season three. In today's episode, I'm very happy to share with you the inspirational advice of a day-to-day, everyday working artist. This is a woman that has not only managed to license her work, but also sells her work direct to collectors. And she's doing well enough that she can save for her future retirement. She offers tips on budgeting, but more so, she offers some great actionable advice, three or even four tips, things you can do right now, ideas of ways you can get started selling your creativity and making money with your art and your creativity. Please welcome Jennifer Mercedi. Hey there, Jennifer. Welcome. How are you? I am good. I'm so excited to have you back on the program. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'll just say point blank for the audience. We had technical difficulties and uh, we're re-recording this. So uh, you're going to get all different answers. (laughs) (laughs) So Jennifer, I had such a great conversation with you the first time and I so enjoyed it. Tell us a little bit about your artwork. How did you find or develop your style? Because your style is really unique. And you guys, if you haven't seen it yet, go and look. But it's it's organic, it's colorful, it's kind of edgy, kind of fun. I, I don't know. I describe it like contour lines filled with blocks of color and and patterns. Yeah. What would you call it, Jennifer? Well, I think one of the ways I like to describe my work is toddler art meets street art meets fine art. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty accurate. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, and where can people go see it if they're online listening to this? Where can they see it? Well, you can start with my website, which is jennifermercedi.com, and that'll link you to my galleries on Flickr. Um, also, a good spot for purchasing any work and seeing a wide variety of my work is also on Etsy. So, if you go to Etsy, it's Jennifer Mercedi on Etsy. So, I didn't know you used Flickr as well. That's interesting. Well, that's my gallery. We didn't... Yeah, that's just where I host all my photos. And oh, cool. Flickr is like um, a website where you can buy prints and stuff, right? Um, maybe I don't know. I think it's mostly what I know it as is like a photographer's website, so it just hosts people, uh, just photographers that have um, like bodies of work. So that's all I really know. But maybe you can buy things from there. You might be thinking more of like Society Six or um, I. I don't mean like products, but prints. Yeah, I'm well, pretty sure Flickr does like photo prints. Yeah, like maybe you can buy like rights to to bo- to borrow a, a photo or something like that. I'm not. <laughs> that's really interesting that you use it for a website though that i think you're the first artist that has said they use Flickr. well i use it for my gallery i have a website that links you then to my Flickr that has all of my art there you should check it out and you'll see like what you know it's just basically hosting all the photographs cool yeah. i will i will yeah. <laughs> so how did you come to this style because it is pretty unique well that's really like, cool that you think it's unique that means so much to me and i don't <laughs> really know how it is unique and i don't know and but i'm so grateful that that's what a lot of feedback i get that it is original and i'm just not quite even sure how <laughs> it is but i mean <laughs> i guess i would just say you know listening to my own guidance within and just doing what feels right to me and like anything in life I guess in a way right it's like if you listen if we listen to that part of ourselves we're just going to create our own path and that must be just what's happening um yeah I just always try to like find yeah. the list you know yeah yeah you know in the last episode I looked up and found your uh note to yourself I'm gonna have to do that again oh, because yeah. that was so worth it yeah um 
Oh, boom. I got it. (laughs) Just to 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 have some background, I did go to school for art and I was studying painting and I had different professors. I went to two different schools. I started at Arizona State and then I went to Bellingham, went to Western Washington and continued to study art the whole time through. And um, yeah, different professors kind of affected me differently, you know, like Mm -hmm. some some were... um, like I, we talked about last time too, just a little bit more, I felt more resistance and I grew by resisting or, or, or kind of fighting against their rules. And mm-hmm. um, I think I would, wasn't even, didn't even consider myself an artist so much, you know, I had to go through this process, this metamorphosis of just accepting what I liked to do. And it wasn't until after school that I started to kind of find what felt like m- my voice. And I think like, I think I told you last time about tapping in and I did some some pieces that for the first time felt like I was tapping into what felt like me. Like during school, I remember, you know, you know, have this assignment. And I think this is totally natural because we're learning, you know, in school, you're learning, you've got projects, you got to do things that you're yeah. to do. And I was working hard on self-portraits. That was just kind of how I was like, I'm going to teach myself to paint by using the face, which is mine. It's always available and ready to paint, you know, and I was <laughs> so frustrated. And I was like, I was spent hours and hours working and trying to make it look right. And I remember being in the studio late at night and I just got so frustrated and I just kind of like scribbled on the side of this portrait I was working on and left. And the next day it was the critique and everybody in the critique was like, I was like, okay, you know, I've worked all these hours and they're like, oh, those scribbles on the side. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I so hard on this face. Like, don't you see? And they're like, oh yeah, but the scribbles are so like, I just love the energy in that. And I was like, huh. It was kind of frustrating at first, you know, but then as I, evolved and started to do some more freeing up and some more abstract work definitely connected with those scribbles and I started loving doing that kind of freer work you know and then I had yeah that maybe kind of encouraged that and like validated it so I uh, was able to just embrace that more you know that's kind of how I grew I do you know in previous I do these little shorts between the interviews in this season and I've been rambling on about how to create a style Mm -hmm. and I really think all styles are either rejection or something that has come before like you're you're doing the opposite of of a style like you're like you know the impressionists they were like no no we don't like realism. We want to go outside and paint. We don't want to paint in the studio. They just rejected everything before them and did the yeah, opposite. Yeah. Um. So that's one way you can kind of try and find your voice. I mean, the other way is to kind of merge things or to push things further. So like post-impressionists took impressionism and made it even mm. more so. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I found your art rules to live by. Can I share them with everybody? Yeah, yeah. I love them. I real, I love this. So, um, Jennifer, you do some. Oh, what what is this called? Autonomous writing or automatic writing? What is that called? Um. Well, just you mean like free association, where you just yes, just letting it go and just no worry, don't worry about punctuation or even finishing a sentence. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. This is a great technique. So, um, this is found on her website, and I love it because it says rules that can f off. <laughs> You must paint big. You must paint, not draw. Don't just color in the lines. Hold the paintbrush like a brush, not a pencil. Painting must be hard, painful, frustrating, like work. It's not a good idea to use colored pencils. Don't waste your time making mistakes. Um, And then it goes on. Yeah, those are, you're going to go into the other ones, right? Because of those, the ones that, um, like, I, you know, to F off, it's like, yeah, you think about in art school, they're like, okay, if you want to be a painter, you hold your paintbrush, like, on the end of the paintbrush, kind of, you don't hold it close up, you don't choke up. And that's a certain technique. It's the way, you know, artists paint, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be all loose, right? You're supposed to yeah. flow from the wrist. Which is great. And it's, it's just great. But it's like, what if you want to hold it up towards the, what if you want to do that? And to feel that you can't or that you're not actually an artist or you're not doing it right because you do that is like nonsense to me, you know? So I think that that's sometimes thing I've heard a lot of people talk about academia, things like that, where you learn these rules that are like, I mean, there, there's reasons for them and there's techniques and I'm not mocking them or saying there's anything wrong with them. It's just, what if you want to do something different? What if you, yeah. you know, like, why is that wrong? That's not wrong, you know? No. Embrace- you know what I always used to say as a professor? So I used to actually teach in academia, but I used mm-hmm. to tell my students, you've got to learn the rules so you can mm-hmm. learn 
to break them. Mm, yeah. If you yeah. don't know the rules, how do you know that you're consciously breaking them? Like, I've always been a little bit of a rebel. I think most artists are. So you got to know the rules to know which ones you want to keep, right. which ones you want to yeah. break. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's what was happening to me in a way. And I mean, I guess the good thing I, I, I continued on and wanted to keep breaking the rules because I might have given up, you know, but like, I just, yeah. I mean, I remember sitting in a class. So, my one of my teachers that was the hardest uh, that I kind of resist and push against his wife was kind of the opposite, which is kind of ironic, right? It's like she was <laughs> than he was, and I felt more like oh, ah, embrace and like oh, I can do. I am an artist, you know. Oh yeah, and um, I remember sitting at a circle in the beginning of class and just being like, I have so much to say, but I just don't know how to say it, you know, and feeling kind of frustrated in that. And yeah, just you know, she kind of was like, yeah, we all do. We all have something to say, but um. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I love it. Well, the next section, it goes on to say, doing things for art, for artistic development, is not procrastination. Creating an exact vision, or close to it, takes time. Yes, I want to paint big, but I also want to paint. Start somewhere. Yeah. One step at a time. Mm. Use your fingers. Dark, even muted colors I don't love. Mixed with bright, I like. <laughs> Draw lots and lots of circles. I'm a circle lover. Love that line. <laughs> I don't care what anyone thinks of my art, of my choices, of my life. I only care what I think. Basquiat said it was okay. Thank you. <laughs> Ed Burrell, to me, this isn't vomiting. Yeah. This is my voice. A critical part of my voice. It is good enough. You have no idea what my intentions are. Yeah. I can do lots of styles. Crazy, more methodical, cartoony, etc., etc. Sometimes they mesh. Sometimes they're not. But they are all valuable. Yeah. I will follow little Jenny Lala's lead. Yeah. And finally, there is no such thing as a mess up. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, those really were liberating for me, and I did embrace a lot of them. I mean, <clears throat> Jenny Lala, I would say, is my little—I call her little artist, little artist. You know, Lala's the Lala's from. She's just like mm. part of me that just wants to play, you know, and just knows is intelligent in the sense of being my creative guide, and yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes you have to write to your inner voice. You have to talk yeah. to your inner child and yeah. your inner voice. And I think so. having, uh, you know, you know what this reminds me of just occurred to me it's kind of like a manifesto yeah definitely. have you ever yeah, yeah. have you ever read any of the manifestos mm, not necessarily but it, it is kind of like that it became ingrained in me i didn't necessarily refer to it but it was like it was liberating just yeah. the act of writing it out cements it yeah and i mean there are so many things in there that would be interesting to touch on i mean just like it's true when i started doing this more seriously i remember thinking okay maybe if i want to get in you know say 10 hours of painting this week or 10 hours towards my art business, I reminded myself that just organizing my studio counted. I mean, I know, like I said, that's kind of that procrastination part where, yeah, sure, it can be procrastination, but it also was important steps in, I was, I was participating in the the creation of my, my career and like making it good. And so the little thing, yeah. Like, oh yeah, I, I just counting everything that you did that was towards that was valuable. And it allowed you, me to feel Oh yeah, I did put 10 hours. Actually, I put 20 hours in because if you count all this stuff, I mean, you know, like this made me feel that I was building on something, you know. I think that's really a good positive affirmation because I know we I think a lot of people beat themselves up a lot. Like I know I'll beat myself up about not getting enough done. Yeah. And beat myself up with that I spent, you know, time cleaning and cleaning up the studio. But how can you create if you don't know where things are? So I love that positive uh flip. That yeah, I mean, of, of course, there's times, right, when it is it is procrastinating, and you're just cleaning. And I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we all do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a, that line, but it's just it's just like I said, step by step, or just like, yeah, it's just it's kind of you know, there's other things to count towards. If you're not just doing just that one thing that you think you should be doing, it's other things that are valuable to be doing. You know? Yeah. 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 Well. For those of you guys that don't know, manifestos are traditional in art. Not Maybe not traditional, but like I actually have the manifesto of the futurists. I love futurists. Mm -hmm. um, they were small, little movement. Didn't get a lot of popularity. I mean, they were only around for a couple of years. But 
they have some they have a amazing beautiful manifesto and their kind of thought process is why do things have to be still why do they have to be portrayed as still stagnant mm-hmm. things everything yeah. moves everything vibrates why don't we have layers of movement why don't why aren't we showcasing trains and planes and automobiles and the modern technology cuz they were around um, 1912 i think kind of the start of that century mm-hmm. um and they wrote it all down yeah so So great idea to write down your thoughts, folks, even just, you know, writing it out, just, it doesn't have to be grammatically correct. Just write down what you want to do and then do it. Yeah. All right. So products. So that's how you found your artwork, your style. And I love the fact that you're talking about, you gave yourself a goal of spending 10 hours in the studio a week or painting 10 hours or 20 hours. I, I haven't heard that from anybody else anybody else but having that kind of goal is a good thing and you've got to have something to sell right you've got to have products to sell so how does that translate from painting to products to making money with your art well i mean um what do you mean exactly like what are you what are you asking exactly Oh, well, you had some really great tips uh, when we talked before yeah. about ways you've marketed your art and, and sold your art. Um, I like to try and encourage people to think of their art as a product because right. it's easy to stay in your studio all day long and just paint, but you've got to have something to sell. You've got to have some sort of product. Right. So yeah. what are products that you sell? What are your best selling products? You know, um, what is your best selling style or product and, and how do you, how do you, uh, how do you sell your work? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I do do a variety of things. I mean, obviously I do original paintings and mm-hmm. paper prints and I offer canvas prints that I'm, I work with a company that I, that licenses them, but you also don't mm-hmm. need to work with a company. You can also just find a place to print canvas print, you know, um, mm-hmm. the bonus with licensing is that they're also distributing, promoting things like that. But, um, I also, uh, sell other little things like greeting cards. And I just started doing some stickers. So I think that one thought is just getting offering items in various price ranges. Plus it's really fun to see my work on things like lampshades or pillows or, I mean, any stationery. I just love it. It's really exciting. So I enjoy that. Uh, but so I offer all these kind of different things. And so they're promoted somewhat differently. Uh, mm-hmm. people, right. You know, you've got, just people who are different are in different able to afford different items and so yeah i mean yeah no that's exactly what i'm asking yeah. no, it's true so we always talk about this appeals acronym art product mm-hmm. presentation educating your audience amplifying through automation, licensing and contract, and then success. And we talk a lot about art licensing with the different guests. Um, But I really like to see what the different guests are selling and how they're making different revenue streams. Um, Because everybody kind of comes at it a little bit differently. But it is really important to have those different price points, to have things that, you know, mom or grandma can buy, you know, postcard or a little tiny print that you can give as a gift. I mean, we've had some guests that sell um, uh, Christmas ornaments or uh, Sandra Everton was on Mm. and she makes these porcelain, uh, what she calls bases. She has collected all these antique figurines from all over the world, uh, little bits and pieces like eyeballs and hearts and doll heads and and crystals and she combines them as kind of collage or like found object uh mixed media sculpture and then she makes a cast of it Mm -hmm. and makes this porcelain base that she sells to mixed media artists so she has this very unique product and it's a very small product some of them are just little charms you know and some of them are very big sculptures yeah so yeah. everybody has these different things. Um, like I saw on Amazon that you have, or through one of your shops or whatever, you've got some sugar skulls and you've got yeah. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, and it is fun. And I think, well, you know, you talk about, you know, marketing and you talk about that aspect of the business. And I do think I learned kind of early on 
that it was just really important to invest time into that. And I think I could still do more. I remember one thing I learned is just thinking that you want to invest at least 50% of your time that you're spending on your business into marketing and that kind of mm. stuff. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe half the time you're making art and doing things related to that, but the other half it's about getting it out there. And I can't say I necessarily do that, but like it, it just pointed me in the direction of, of business, you know, that yeah. the business. So well, you have to treat art as a little bit of a business or exactly. else yeah. you got to pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty unabashed about this in the in this podcast and yeah. I'm getting more and more so because yeah. we want to know. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like, um, how? I'm very excited about when it comes to like the business side of things that started for me like the last couple of years. So yeah. um, you know, I, I've. I like saving money. So I, I started an IRA maybe like in 2008. So I've been putting money mm-hmm. aside since then. I've just, you know, realized oh, I'm self-employed. Like there's nobody else taking money out from my retirement. I need to do that, you know? And Smart. I in 28, 2008. And there are many years went by where I didn't actually, didn't contribute anything. But in the past couple of years, I've been way more serious about it. And I started, um, I went to this class at, uh, in Portland for like buying a home. I did not buy a home, but I learned how to keep a budget. And up until that point, it was really confusing. Like how, as an artist, do I keep a budget? Because my income is such a fluctuating number, right? You know, one month, right. bring in a couple thousand next month, maybe you got 10,000 or something, you know, but it's like, and so for one month, you're like, ah, how do I make it? How do I make it? And then, you know, the next month you're like, oh yeah, I can do that. I can, I can go there. I can buy this, you know? So it was, it's different than somebody who has a, a job where every month they bring in, you know, $4,000 or whatever, and they can say, okay, I you know, 1500 to my rent and hundred to my, you know, this or that and $300. Yeah. Rent. So what the cool thing is I use this app called YNAB. It's called, it's, it stands for, you need a budget. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Oh, I have, but I don't have it. I've heard of it. I yeah. haven't used it. Tell us it's about been it. It's really helpful. And if people are familiar with the, the technique of, say, putting money in envelopes for different categories. So say you get like $500. Well, the, the app, yeah. the you get, say you get a cell painting for $500. I can, then I have on this app where I can choose, okay, I'm going to take, you know, $100 of that, put it towards groceries. And I'm going to take $100 of that, put it towards saving. I'm taking, you want 200 of it and put it towards my rent. So you kind of allocate. So then you look and it's like, how much money do you have available? It's like actually nothing. Even though if you looked at your bank account, you would have that $500 sitting there. But when you look mm-hmm. at the app, it's like, I don't have any money available because it's all like has a name. It all has a purpose, you know? And yeah. um, up until that point too, I was kind of constantly in a little bit of credit card debt. And it was just because I would make my money and I'd be like, pay off all the, the credit card. And then I'd be like, but I don't have any money now to like, you know, do this thing I need to do. So I'm like, I'm going to use my credit card ah. I'm cycle. Right. So I started yeah. was able to heal that. And now I kind of, I live debt free and I just am operating like on the money that I have and what comes in, I just allocate it immediately. And that includes fun things. You know, I have categories for traveling and, you know, fun things. It's important. Yeah. Too. But I think like this, it's been really amazing. I think for me, I mean, yes, it does take, um, I guess, discipline or just, uh, Every, you know, every day or maybe once a week, you really have to, you get to keep your receipts and you have to enter things in. You have to keep track of what you're spending. And like, I have uh, cash mm-hmm. or tricky too, because if you spend cash and you have to like really know like, okay, that was, you have to keep the receipt, you know, you don't have a record of it on, on the uh, internet, but mm-hmm. I found that it, it's, it's really exciting and allows me to save even more. So I really committed to saving a lot of money. And so that's just the side of my business, I guess, that has improved in the last couple of years that I really feel yeah. proud of, you know, honestly. Um, so yeah, why not? It's it's cool if you're looking for a way to budget and your income is flexing flex all the time. It helps. It's really helpful. That is awesome. I think you were the first artist on the podcast to talk about needing a budget. Yeah. And um so the app is you need a budget. Y N A P B. Yeah. Y N A B. You need a budget. Yeah. Um I just looked it up and downloaded it and I'm gonna check it out. Yeah. And I think that's so important because we do really have a fluctuating income. And so, yeah, you do need to plan ahead and know what you're spending. Um, yeah. And a little care for the, the, the scarcer months, right? If you like, yes. oh, I've got my rent or mortgage covered for three months from now. So like if, if three months from now is a low month, then I'm good. You know, I can, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So it helps you do that. I know some of the artists talked about, um, I've had some artists on that talk about the ebb and flow 
as related to seasons Mm -hmm. and how, you know, with some, with some like workshops, um, like I'm trying to think of an example, like Carla Sonheim, Mm -hmm. she, uh, does a lot of workshops, online art workshops and, they have other artists that do workshops and she was talking yeah. about, yeah. I believe how yeah. workshops are very popular during a certain time of year, but then mm-hmm. there's a real downturn around you say Christmas and new year's cause everybody's busy with family and holiday stuff. So they just don't have time to take online art classes. Yeah. So you have to kind of watch and be prepared for those ebbs and flows. And I guess a budget would really help you track that as well. Sure. Yeah. Help you be prepared to have like a little stash. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, no, pay more attention, you know? And if you really got into it, you could be like, what, what can I, what can I begin to promote more during those times that my classes don't really do well, you know? Yeah. yeah that, that seems clear in that situation. Like, okay, you know, during the holidays, people aren't taking classes, but they're probably buying art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing. I have this handout called How to Make Money with Your Art. And one of the things I have as associated with that is a spreadsheet where it kind of tries to help people fill in. Like, okay, if I'm selling prints at $20, this is how many I have to sell to make $50,000 a year. And if I'm selling commission pieces. But every single artist I have interviewed, one of the common threads I have been finding, and it's in this handout, mm. is that um, almost all artists that are successful do have multiple revenue streams. So they Mm -hmm. sell multiple Mm -hmm. products, right? They sell low price products and almost all of them either do commission work or workshops. They either all teach in some form Mm. or another. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, and it takes totally different forms. Some people, you know, do plenary classes. Some people teach online workshops. Some people have books uh, that they're teaching through studios in their backyard, like Florida. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. She, that, she really got her start. She really yeah. uh, took off from her teaching. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I don't want to scare anybody by saying, Oh, you got to teach. That's not yeah, what I mean. Sure. You don't have to yeah. you know, go out and become a formula. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just means, you know, sharing. And that actually leads us really well into this <laughs> idea of presentation because education and teaching is more of like presenting your work, right? Sure. So how and where do you present your work? What have been some of the most successful shows or ways that you've found to present your work? Well, yeah, I have had shows in Portland at different galleries. And I also started by showing my work in coffee shops and restaurants up on Alberta Street, which is a popular hip uh, street in Portland and cool. that kind of got me started you know and I would say the success of that and some of the shops on Alberta Street was was good and that was important because it gave me like this confidence you know so I mm-hmm. um, but I'd also I mean, yeah I think just being in the community in Portland and participating in group shows it kind of just increased my reach I mean I gotta say when I started I was I was inspired by a buddy, Chris Haberman, who's another artist in Portland, and he's he's incredible at the time. It was maybe 10, 15 years ago when we kind of were doing art together, and I just got started in the Portland community, and like we were both pretty gung-ho. We were like, yeah, I'm part of five group shows, and I have two solo shows this month. <laughs> and, we, and he would just do so much, and I was like, yeah, I can do that, because we were both very prolific, like we can create work fast. And um, so that kind of really like created this community like I was part of a big community and a lot of people uh-huh. in the town got to know my work so that's one way I think that I am successful here in Portland is that I've just been here and I've been doing it for a while but that's not to say that's the only way you know like I think right now online is the way I mean it's not the way I don't mean to say it like mm-hmm. that thing mm-hmm. it's where I find most of my success right now especially with the pandemic you know I mean I don't yeah know. like I'm going to be participating in an art show for uh uh, we do a little things art show up at a gallery in Portland. So we do little things for the holidays, like Guardino gallery, which has been a great gallery to be a part of. Um, mm. and I'd like to be part of more galleries and realizing that some, some are actually making things happen, but I think that's one great way to just find success is be a part of a group show and you meet a lot of other artists and collectors and things like that, you know? So how did you get into galleries? I know everybody's always kind of interested in how do you approach a gallery? How do you get into a boutique or a gallery? 
Well, I think it's important to realize that it's not as scary as it may seem or not as mm-hmm. prestigious as it may seem. Although, as I say that, there's definitely ones that I have on my radar that I'm like, oh, I'd never be able to talk to them, you know. But I, <laughs> some of the galleries that I ended up, I just, you know, since I was local and I just kind of, you know, group shows is a really good way. If the gallery hosts a group show, applying to be a part of that, because then you develop a relationship with the gallery owner and mm-hmm. get in that way. And then you can just be really nice to them and then, you know, ask if they're open to you showing. And yeah. And I think it's just important to remember that, I mean, galleries are, are awesome. And I have had some good connections with collectors through galleries, but it isn't the end all. And especially as times are changing, I would say, you know, not so much, but I mean, I, I only know so much about galleries. I only work with a couple really. And I think they can be really great for people. So it's all, yeah. Know. Just, I think, you know, like I said, also, just not even just a gallery situation, but if there's a place that you want to show, just I guess you just got to be bold. And I remember when I had all this show on Alberta Street, I remember just having a little photo album at the time of my work. And I just walked around to different places and was like, would you, you know, can I have a show? And we just booked <laughs> I love it. Yeah. They barely even looked at the, the, the notebook just because they were like, booking whoever really and still it was valuable because it made me feel like I'm having a show and I'm a professional artist I mean this was you know 15 years ago or so so it was um, different yeah well you have to I you know another tip that I think is invaluable is when I sat down and looked at consciously looked at what has worked for me in the past really networking has been one of the most successful things for me. It has brought me the most opportunities. And I hear this time and time again, too, is it's just that networking and networking is not a dirty word. It's it's just really making friends. It's just talking to people and being social and saying, hey, what are you up to? Yeah, this is what I'm up to. Yeah, do something. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. And it's like it seems you're right. It's I think it can be that like that weird, uncomfortable networking that we, you know, you think of, but also it's yeah, it's not a only handshake that. and a fiver. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> I don't know, it's just like yeah, but um, and I do um, sweaty palms. I do work I, in the room. When no, I, it's not that. Yeah. It's not the sweaty palms work in the room. Hey, I'm I'm so and so. Here's my card. Call me. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I um. I remember when I was starting to sell my work and I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm the best salesperson. Honestly, I think I have a lot to learn. In fact, I remember sitting, I was selling my work at a street fair. And so, okay, I'm gonna make this little tiny long story. It's kind of fun, but I, I, I applied once to teach, to, to sell, be a salesperson at Sunglass Hut in the mall. And okay. um, Dion interviewed me and then he decided not to hire me, but we ended up becoming friends. But he was like, if he told me why he didn't hire me, he's like, I just don't, I don't think you'd sell much, you know, <laughs> he just didn't think I was a good salesperson, <laughs> but whatever, like, you know, I was like, okay. And then he was, I was on the street selling my stuff and he was, he stopped by, he was at the street fair and he said, was, says hi. And, and there was somebody at my, my little booth and I was just talking to him. He's like, aren't you going to talk to them? You know, I was like, oh no, no. He's like, that's why I didn't hire you for the sunglass hat, you know? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I hate it when people bother me when I'm shopping in a street fair. But I mean, so I'm just my point is I'm not the best salesperson, and I, I want. Oh, I don't think you should say that though, Jennifer, because last time we talked, you gave me some really fantastic ideas of ways that you can get out there and sell your work immediately. And I, I don't. I think it's like you say, people don't want to be like badgered and yeah, yeah. you know, this yeah. uh, concept of the of the pushy salesman. It, it, it's a real yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just being yeah. friendly, just yeah. smiling and saying, hey, what's up? How you doing? Can I, you know, get you anything? You want a glass of water or a glass of coffee if you're in a shop, you know, that has those types of things or, or oh, can I answer any questions? Or, yeah. You know, just, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Just generally yeah. being interested, but being like, oh, hey blah 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 this this artwork is uh phenomenal and will uh it will increase in in it will make your friends jealous and you will have prestige and fame and uh it will accrue value and be worth a million dollars someday because this is the latest greatest thing coming out you know nobody thoughts that exactly you're right unless maybe you're in chelsea new york yeah i guess i mean i think it was 
Yeah, that's kind of where I was going to. I mean, I just think I do have room for improvement with marketing. Okay, come on. I do. I do. <laughs> we all do. Maybe we all do. Is, but like, I, I just, I could, I could benefit and probably who knows what from my sales if I could just improve my, or get a marketing person. But um, anyway, regardless, when I started to like work in the sales, I, all I could think of was sleazy salespeople. You know, I was like, oh God, I can't do that. <laughs> But I remember discovering is Molly Gordon. She had this uh, thing called authentic promotion and it connected mm. just this idea of promoting to kind of like what you're saying. It's just, you just be yourself and you don't have to push it on anybody and you just be friendly. And, and I'm, and I think that can even work in, in increasing your marketing and getting better. But I just, the idea of like, Oh, I can do this from my heart. Like if like marketing can be a heart led thing as well and so that allowed me to at least get started yeah. like, okay I can I can attempt to like have a business and start this you know are you enjoying the artist appeals I know I love recording it this is just a quick break to encourage you to get your free download of the top four things that you can do to make money with your art at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com so get your free download at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com today and now back to your regular program. Well, you know, I went to um, a big conference one time and I had a booth and I spent a lot of money going to, um, it was the CHA mega show. And there was a guy who brought an actual salesman with him in the booth behind me. And they were real friendly. They were selling this cool stuff. Yeah. It was this modeling stuff that you um, could make a mold. You could stick an object in it and you put this clear stuff around it and it would make a mold mm -hmm. and then you know you could cast something and then you could put it in the microwave and melt it and oh. use it over again it was oh, really cool yeah and um you know they were doing a bang up business and, mm -hmm. and i did okay that show yeah. um but at the end when we we're uh breaking down you know the salesman salesmen are very competitive i i hear and he came over and he's like so how much did you sell i'm like uh what <laughs> he's like well did you hit your goals we had a goal of like i don't know he said some outrageous number like fifty thousand dollars or something yeah and i was like uh, what <laughs> like no didn't sell that much he's yeah. like well did you did you uh, tell them? Um, but it was a great moment because he says, well, you know, if you're going to sell something, you just got to put it in their hand and say, can I wrap that up for you? Yeah. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, just, you know, put it in their hand and be like, so can I ring that up for you? Yeah. I was like, can I ring that up for you? I had to go home and practice that in my hotel like 50 times. I'm like, can I say it? Can I really do it? Can I ring that up for you? Yeah. Can I ring that up for you? Can I ring that up for you? Did you try it? <laughs> Honestly, I have not. Yeah. <laughs> because I haven't been in that situation again. Mm. So I haven't been in a situation with an actual cash register yeah. and a booth. And yeah. um, that was just a year or two ago. And then I had a baby and yeah. blah, blah, blah. You never tried it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know. It, it, it's hard because like the authentic promotion idea is just kind of like being yourself. And that does not feel like ourselves. Like it's not, it's not, it's not like it sounds like you and <laughs> right. like me, but. I just think that there's still things to learn within that. Like, okay, well, what of that? How can you say that in your own language? And, you know, like, as I think, yes, trying to, but also for me, it's so important. I don't want to force my things on anybody, but I do want to make more money, but I don't want people to walk away and have any regret and be like, why the heck did I buy this? Like, it's really important to me, actually. This is something mm -hmm. that people actually really genuinely want and, and feel happy with the, what they have. I almost don't want them to get it if they're going to walk away and be like, what? What what I do with this? Like, what? Why did I get that? It's really important to me because I hate that. You know? Yeah. Well, I think that um, people buy artwork for the story and for meeting the artist. And if they like you and they have a story to go along with it about the artwork or the artist or the studio or their day or whatever that is, I don't think they'll regret it. I really don't because it yeah. becomes a talking point and it becomes a yeah. memory. Yeah, and I and I I think that most people like that buy my work have that experience i guess i just think you know, I'm, I'm really inspired by something like patagonia i'm not sure how you're familiar with that with you, you are with their, mm -hmm. their ways and just like the the sense of they say something like um don't buy this jacket like don't don't buy a new thing if you don't need it and i kind of am like that's kind of how i feel as much as that's anti <laughs> you know like 
buy my stuff and, and help me make money. It's, it's really important to me because I personally am not a big consumer at all. And so mm-hmm. I just don't think we need to be consuming, but it's, it's ironic to be a person who produces items and sells things and wanting people to, to purchase my work, but yet also kind of have that stance where I'm just like, I don't think we need to have too many things in the world. And I don't want people to, I don't want people to, you know, go out and be uncomfortable and like spend more. Well, it's about, you know, loving what you have, I think. And I've talked to many artists, um, but one of the photographers, uh, you're making me think of Jeffrey Stoner. He's in one of the previous episodes Mm. and he um, always puts a story on the back of his of his artwork. So he's a photographer and he photographs goats on the top of the mountain, for example, they're um, these goats, these like cashmere goats that they Uh scientists put on the top of this mountain to control the invasive plants. They were, well, instead of spraying, let's try goats. And then they put um, great Pyrenees dogs with Mm -hmm. the goats to, to guard them. And I actually own a Pyrenees little side note about me. Uh Um, they're fantastic dogs, and he's got these amazing pictures of the goats standing on top of the dog, or their budding heads, like the goat and the dog have their heads together. And he tells this story about um, the goat wanting the highest point on the rock, but the dog laying on the rock for the sun, and, and uh-huh. this relationship. Uh-huh. Um, and people buy these and collect them yeah. because of of the story and the yeah. laughter and the love yeah. uh, that's evident between these goats and these dogs. Yeah. But he always yeah. puts a story on the back. And if yeah. I recall, you always sign your stuff on the front and the back as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think we talked about that in the sense of just having people be able to remember who you are and find contact you, find you again. If you, if they're curious, like who made this piece? Cause you know, my signature on the front isn't so legible always, but, uh, mm-hmm. the back, having your name or if you can take a business card or something like that on the back. But I, that's what I mean is I think people do collect artists be, that they connect with. So mm. when you create a connection, mm. when you create a story and then they want more, mm. you know? Mm. So how do you reach out to your collectors? I know you do commission work and you do um, pet portraiture. Mm-hmm. How do you like reach out to your current um collectors and and um connect with them educate them as to what you got going on i think honestly right now a big platform is instagram it's kind of mm. where i live and i operate as a business and mm-hmm. and then i also have a newsletter so uh the instagram is pretty much daily so i'm kind of just always like popping in there with something whether it's just a picture or something that's for sale or mm-hmm. so i don't do a ton of personal stuff but just like that's where I'm kind of telling people what's going on. That's where I know I'm connecting with most people. Like I said, then I also have the newsletter and letting people know there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So with commissions and stuff, it, a lot of word of mouth. So people or they see something and they think, Oh, I would like to have her do that. So I do do like this, like we talked about the pet portraits and that's something that evolved in the last couple of years. I started doing them. Um, I think you were interested in the idea that I, I connected with the, the vet that I work with. And I, I just wanted Heck to yeah. do a show at her at her clinic. And what I did was I, I sent an email to, well, she sent an email to all of her patients and asked if anybody wanted to submit a photo. So they submitted photos and I chose the cutest. It was really hard. They were also cute, but I chose a bunch and I just painted them, hung them on the wall. And in that situation, most of them ended up selling. One girl was like, she bought it. She was like, I saw her post on Instagram. She's like, the thought of, you know, like this, this portrait of my dog, X amount of dollars, somebody else owning it, like me owning it instead of somebody else having my dog's picture on their house, priceless. Like she just didn't want somebody else to own it. No, hopefully she liked the painting too, but um, no, like, so it was really fun and that was a really successful way to go about it. Just kind of connecting with the people and their, and their animals and offering something for them. It wasn't guaranteed. And in fact, there's still several animal portraits that are at the clinic that are still there that, you know, people didn't choose to buy and that's okay. And there's no expectation of that, you know, and uh, it was just an opportunity to 
get some. Food. No, I think that's a fabulous win-win-win. So you <laughs> went to the vet. I'm actually really glad you clarified this for me because you went to the vet and asked them to submit their photos and you picked from the photos submitted. Right. So it's kind of like that uh, fear of missing out. Like it's, it's like almost like a competition. Like, oh, will my pet get picked? Is my pet yeah. cute enough? Aww. Obviously, you couldn't paint a hundred different pets, right? Yeah. Like what did you pick? Like 20? Yeah, I think I can't remember around maybe even 30. So there's some small ones too. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then you had a space to show it in, totally non-traditional. And then the people whose pets did get picked bought a lot of them. Yeah. And then the work is still there today, still I'm promoting you, right? Sure. Yeah. And I'm supposed to be working on a large mural for her actually. I do. It's, I have oh, that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And they've got decor. I mean, custom mm-hmm. artwork in a vet. That's so great. I mean, yeah. my vet's got posters from like the 1980s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, who would think pets well. could look who would think pets could look dated what they do <laughs> right yeah i know it's true yeah i know that's how we met i think um the owner of the clinic um she i think she asked if i would show there i think that's how we actually connected or something. And very cool now, you do something similar but a little different with flowers around mother's day oh, i think you yeah, said mother's day i put a word out that i would do Mother Day bouquets and just offer people an opportunity to buy their mother a little flower painting. So they could let me know their mom's favorite flowers and I could incorporate that or just do a single flower. Yeah. And that was really successful as well. I mean, it was fun. It was really wonderful to make these beautiful paintings for all moms. And how did you put the word out? Did you um, post it on Instagram and then put a link or something or? Yeah, I created a form. So a separate form who could just fill out and they could pay right then and there. And I, then had a link on Instagram and I also sent a newsletter out. It was the only two ways that I, I, I did it. Yeah. I mean, it's on Facebook too. And I think I mentioned to you last time I have a business Facebook page and I also have a personal Facebook page. And I mentioned mm. this and my business is like, I don't know what the heck's going on there. There's like four people who see my things. I don't, I don't know. Facebook <laughs> algorithms. Damn maybe, you, Facebook. No, maybe they don't like it that I just posted from Instagram or something. I don't, I don't really I kind of have cobwebs over there, but I still share what I post on Instagram over there. And then my yeah. personal page is like friends from my whole life, you know, people I've yeah. grew up with and stuff. So sometimes I will also post something like that on that page and actually get a lot of sales from that, you know? So I feel like I have to be mm-hmm. careful because it's just a personal page, but it's also one of those things if they don't like to see it, I guess they can just not be my friend, but I don't think they mind. It's not like all the time. I don't do everything to that page. It's just more like yeah. like that when I offer something that they might be interested in and it just gives them. And well, you know, it's scrolling. I mean, you just scroll. If you're not interested, keep on scrolling, baby. Keep on scrolling. You know, I'm sorry if I inundated you with art, but keep on scrolling. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's not offensive. It's not like it's politics or... (laughs) Well, they follow my political posts, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> so um what did you use to make your form and what do you use to send your newsletter are they the same is it like wordpress nope. or i mean um... the form. so the i do mailchimp mm-hmm. email. and okay and then i do this is it's called jot form i just had to search it out and figure it out it may or may not be the best thing i don't know it just worked <laughs> you know hey sometimes that's what you need is something that just works you know yeah I mean, so basically it's just a, a <laughs> the thing i was able to i did it also for my art pen pals so i had over the summer with the quarantine and everything i offered uh art pen pals so kids could be my art pen pal it was really really what? fun yeah oh so i cool. want to hear about this do so, tell do tell so like i i just i people would sign up so you'd either sign up for one round or three rounds or five rounds and basically we do it back and forth so i start i start the start it i send them something it's just a information about the program and then also just like a piece of paper that I've done some art on and they can do whatever they want. I really encourage them to just be wild and crazy. Uh, they have to be able to mail it back pretty much in an envelope, but I did get, mm-hmm. I did get a My Little Pony in the mail the other day. It's really, really cool because I just love what the kids come back with. And I, I sit with it for a minute, you know, I look open it and I look at it and then I just kind of then I, you know, wait some time and I look at it again and I just like, I just love to see where their minds went and how they mm-hmm. scribbled and like what, how they interacted with what I did. And some are, some are so much more, you know, confined or just like not even confined as a negative thing, but they're just like the way that they approach it is just more coloring in the lines and like thinking more about Tight. it. And then I've seen one girl, the one who's in the My Little Pony too, I could tell that she had like 
crumpled up the paper. So I just took that to the next level. I was like, yeah, we're going to really crumple this up. I think I'm going to send it to her in a crumpled up ball or something. You know? like, <laughs> I cut some of my little pony hair off and glued it onto the paint, the, the painting. And so it's just really fun and it gives them an opportunity to just be like, think outside the box and, and, and share their artistic abilities and be validated by someone who is a professional artist, you know, it's really fun. That is fantastic. Yeah. And so they keep it in the end. So yeah, how many so times do you go back and forth? Well, it depends. Like I said, if they sign up for a three round, then then we have three times that I get to, like I started, but that doesn't count. I send it to them and they do something uh-huh. and then they send it back to me. And so there's always like three times that I would add to it. And then it's final time it goes back to them. They just keep it unless they want to do another round, another, you know, sign up for something else. But that hasn't happened yet. People just kind of, and the interesting thing is a lot of people have signed up and then, uh, <laughs> I never really hear from them, <laughs> but like really, we do, one round, we do one round and then like, I don't know, you know, it's, life is crazy. Right. And I think some people sign up in the fall and some maybe got a little tricky, but it's, it's an un- ongoing thing. So if people, mm-hmm. you know, wherever they get to it, it's totally fine. You know, I'm, it's open. so there's no deadline. Right. Yeah. I just try to get it back to them within a week or two. So I want to get it and, um, and they can do yeah. what they want to get it back to me. But it's like I said, it's really fun. They're really inspiring. I just love the time to sit down and just do be free. But that was Jennifer, that is really inspiring. I love that. That is so outside the box. I adore it. Oh, it's fun. And uh, that was a job form. So people got to fill out the form and it just basically tell me about your kid, you know, what uh-huh. was a good project for them. They just like choose their thing and they choose like how many rounds they want and then they can purchase it right there. Get that through Sprite. Fantastic. That sounds like so much fun. I totally want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I can I be your art pen pal? <laughs> Can, can I join? Is there an age limit? <laughs> well, no, I, mean, I did have actually a person sign up that was an adult and wanted to do it, and a couple other adults wanted to do it, but it wasn't something I was really offering. I'm thinking of possibly at some point offering, you know, like a limited number of adult opportunities. I just feel like I wanted the complete freedom. I didn't want the pressure of working. <laughs> adult. Like I just felt if I was with an adult, there might be more like I don't know. Maybe this is true. Maybe it's not. But I just. I wanted to just focus on the kids at the time, you know? Yeah. So. No, that makes sense. I um, have done a art journal round robin. That was cool. fantastically yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a really great way to network. And it was just, you know, hey, let's make these journals. And it was like, yeah. I don't know, 10 pages. And um, I sent them a bunch of my prototypes of the totem puppets and said, well, make whatever you want. And, yeah. And then when they sent me theirs, each of the ones had a theme so some people had a theme some people had do whatever you want mm-hmm. but um you know one of them was what's your favorite color and I did a an entire spread in greens um but that's a really great way to network and I love the way yeah. you turned that into a really great not just networking opportunity but a monetization as well hmm. ain't nothing wrong with that honey I love your ideas it was fun. It was fun. That, and talking about monetizing it, right? It was it was just interesting the evolution of it because I mean I'll just be real. Like if I started out, I was like, yeah, I'll just do it. It can be like five dollars, no big deal, you know. Just I just want to do it and interact with the kids, and the kids are stuck home and all, you know, just like this idea, right? And then I'm thinking about it more, my friends are like, it's gonna cost you like two fifty at least more more to mail it. You know, like she's like, you've got to like account for your time. And I was like, oh, yeah. And it's, like, and it's multiple times that they're sending it back and forth. So you're going to have, you can't just, you know, like I was like, oh. Yeah. So I had to kind of increase the value to really make it worth my time. You know, there's the going to the post office. There's the supplies yes. packing it up, you know, like there's. So it's just, it was an interesting evolution that I had like, oh yeah, I have to actually charge for this, you know? No, I think that brings us to a really good um, point. You really do have to think about how you price your work. Um, We don't get into this all that often, but when you're wholesaling something or retailing something, when you're developing your art into product, you've got to think about the costs that go into it. So you've got to think about not only how much does it cost to make the product, the paper, the inks, the printing or or whatever, but also what boxes am I going to need to ship it? Yeah. Packaging, bubble wrap am I going to need? Am I going to need stamps? Am I going to need little extras to throw in? Do I need... You know, that was something I learned with iConnect Crafts, which is kind of why I started down this pathway as I decided to start this craft business. And it was trial by fire. It was like, okay, I'm going to make these cool little kinesthetic crafts that move, these little animals that move. Oh, wait, how am I going to get them out there? I need a plastic sleeve. Oh, wait, I need a hang tag. Oh, wait, you mean I have to put something in the package and have it printed and that's going to cost me and I have to have minimum 
quantities. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to kind of think about all the things that go into it and um, make sure that you're covering those and still making a little profit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you know, if you think about sometimes I know people have formulas and like, how many hours did you spend? I remember I took a, I took a marketing, a, a business class with the Mercy Corps here in Portland, like 15 years ago or whatever. And we talked about making a business plan. You talked about, you know, really figuring out how much the painting costs. You think about how much paint you use and you kind of like, you know, like, and then you think about the wire on the back of the painting or the hooks and like, you say, you figure out how much this painting actually costs, right? You're right. It was overwhelming in my brain. I was like, I can't handle this, you know. But <laughs> like when I started, spreadsheets, formulas. <laughs> oh God, no! Just if there's people that are listening that are kind of maybe maybe on the beginning end of the career or where this does seem overwhelming to have to decide how much to price something. I will say, when I started, I didn't really think about that. Like for me, it, pricing, especially for my original work, was definitely and continues to kind of be about how it feels in, in the, in the release of the piece. So when I started and, and I, and I will admit that, like I mentioned, I'm pretty, I can, I guess, prolific. I can create a lot of work um, in a short period of time. So it's easier, I guess, maybe to let go. Mm-hmm. Of this. But that, that being said, like I did have a show, a couple of shows in the, the little coffee shops on Alberta street. And I, my, my work was priced pretty low, you know, like, you know, I don't know, maybe a, 14 by 14 piece for like 50, $50, you know? And Ooh, the, yeah, that is the thing is like, it, it, it was so valuable. And if you can afford to do that and if it feels okay to you in your heart and your like body, then I feel like go for it. Because what happened was then I was like, Oh my God, a stranger wants to buy my work. And then another stranger wants to buy my work. And even though the price maybe didn't, did not account at all for my time or my materials, it was so valuable because it gave me that belief in myself and the momentum, you know, to keep creating work. Had I priced yes. that piece for $300 and never sold it, what would have been the difference? You know, what would have come from that? Like I would have had all this work and I mean, who knows, maybe people would have bought it. Maybe the same thing, you know, I can't say, but I'm just saying, right. like, you know, it helped me at that time. So if you're kind of unsure, I, I mean, there's so many different strategies, right? Some people say price it high, mm-hmm. people value it more. And I think that is really true too. And now that's a little bit more what I'm approaching. My work, I think is still fairly reasonable when it comes to original work. I feel that a lot of my friends charge more than me and uh, it's inspiring to me and I want to raise my prices and things like that. But um, I but you don't want to price yourself out of the market either. I mean, yeah. I think it's a combination of things. You've got to look at what you're comfortable with. Like if yeah. you sell your work and you feel like, oh, I just got taken advantage of yeah. and that just hurt. Yeah. But at the same time, the purchaser needs to feel like they're getting a deal and not being taken advantage of either. Yeah. And I so think it's a balancing easy. act. Yeah. And I think it's honestly easy sometimes for me. I feel that I am doing that when I'm not. Like, for example, if I'm charging so much for something. It, sometimes it, it, it feels like, how could that be worth that? But I think that's something that we have to accept too, that it actually is worth that. It's actually worth more, but sometimes it feels like, like for me, I feel like I'm like, am I cheating them out of money? I know this is really weird to reveal uh, means to say this, but it feels like, am I charging too much? Because it feels, but I think that's a matter of just believing in our work and ourselves and having that, like, I am worth this. And yes. it's okay, you know, so just that, that, that sense of, yeah, like I said, uh, worth and being able to charge, even if, it be, of course, you don't want to be skeezy and you're not like, yeah, I'm just going to like take advantage of your money. But it's, it's right. Like, well, it you might know, feel a little bit like more like maybe you're charging more than you should, but it's actually what you're, you are worth that, you know? Yeah. And you know what? You can't ever judge what somebody else is able to pay. So yeah. there are plenty of people out there that make a lot more money than yeah. me, yeah. you know? And to them, a hundred bucks or 500 bucks for a piece of art is nothing. If they're a doctor or a lawyer or a collector, you know, I went to the Susquehanna art museum yesterday and I was um, listening to this presentation by a historian about Degas and Degas was one of the most prolific artists and collectors Mm -hmm. um, around the, the war. Um, He was talking about in context of world war one, and how as Paris is being bombed by the Germans, as these big, huge uh, bombs are coming in and blowing things up, they're having this auction of this man's lifetime of work, Degas, as well as 
all this amazing artwork that he's bought and collected from all of these famous, famous French artists that we all know and love nowadays. And he died broke and penniless. He spent all of his money buying other people's art Uh and and investing in their art. And then when he died and they auctioned it off, his um, brother and uh, like heirs, he didn't have, I think, that many kids or whatever, but they made millions. The people that made money off of it was the gallery owners and his his heirs. And I don't know, it struck me as kind of tragic. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, because, I mean, here he was going around and recognizing great artwork and purchasing it and saving it. Um, He wanted to have, like, a gallery, but he didn't actually leave any actual plans to house this amazing collection. Huh. And so it got dispersed again. Yeah, huh. Interesting. So it is worth it. Artwork is work. It is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. How about licensing and contracts? He didn't have a contract. He didn't have a plan to uh, create a Degas museum, which is a shame because it sounds like he had an epic collection as well as his work. Um, Licensing and contracts. People are scared of contracts. People are scared of licensing sometimes. Uh, You've licensed your work with a bunch of different companies. Yeah. What have you learned that you would want to share with the audience about licensing contracts? Uh, it's kind of fun, I think. I think <laughs> I know. I do know artists have their own debate whether or not they want to do it, and I kind of did in the beginning. You know, does it devalue your original work? I don't know the answer to that, but I do think that it's fun. It's fun to see your, my work produced in other ways. Um, mm. It's fun to get an extra check. I think honestly, on the business side of things, licensing is great because it's a passive income. So you make the artwork once, maybe it's already made before it's even uh, yes, licensed, and then you get a, a check passive check honestly i would welcome many more licensing opportunities i um yeah the main one that i've had for hear that folks jennifer is available for licensing (laughs) opportunities get her artwork while it's hot (laughs) but i think the main one that i've had over 10 years was with uh green box art and culture uh actually yeah it's been like 15 years probably since 2008 however long that is and um anyway they've been great and that kind of happened, like, again, back to the networking. Uh, I used to babysit for a woman in Ohio who went to college with the owner. They were roommates of, you know, the owner of Greenbox. So we got connected that way, and it turned out she liked my work. So it was a good connection. And, um, uh, mm-hmm. Greenbox, huh? Is that, it's kind of a subscription thing? No, Greenbox Art and Culture. That's the one Karen Cat that you might be interviewing. Did you get to check her? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I sent her an email, and yeah. um, I, I haven't heard back from her yet. Yeah, but uh, I'm totally stoked if she comes on. Greenbox art, here it is. Yeah, greenbox art, folks. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, just it's a little tricky. I find to to make more licensing opportunities. Like, you know, it takes some it takes some focus and a lot of no's or a lot of no responses to make mm-hmm. that happen. We talked about last time a little bit, but I think uh, I I do recommend it if you can do it and um. I, I one time I even hired an intern. There's a woman who wanted to intern with me, and that she wanted to do anything that I would have her do. And I was like, really? Okay. So she basically <laughs> what I had to do was she was amazing, and she just contacted companies for me that I was interested mm-hmm. in with, that I was interested in licensing my work for. Fantastic. So, well, that's called pitching. You just yeah. send a short, sweet email with some samples of yeah. artwork. Yeah. Um, I just went to this conference, this virtual online conference. If people are interested in licensing, and Jennifer, you would love this. You got to come next year. It's yeah. called Art Biz Jam. Yeah. And um, it's A-R-T-B-I-Z-J-A-M. And it's run by Phyllis Dobbs, who was on the podcast. And she's in art licensing. And it's a small conference. Um I think there were maybe 30 or 40 attendees this year for the virtual. And that's fairly small for a conference. But the the number of contacts that she has product developers come in and present about art licensing. And you can get a portfolio review. And last year, she took everybody on a tour of um, a manufacturer. And I mean, it is a incredible wealth of knowledge about licensing and and licensing really is it's hard to get into but 
it's what you were talking about. It's a it's a passive um, revenue stream. They put your art on a product, they sell the product, and then they give you a percentage yeah. of those royalties. It's called royalties. Um, Cindy Steele, yeah. I think two episodes before you, two episodes ago, she is the director of marketing. But what that actually means is that she's actually the the selector of artwork for a big company that has five brands underneath of it. Uh, she offered some great advice, including, you know, royalty rates and everything. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to check that one out actually. Awesome. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, licensing is awesome. Um, another example, Maria Brophy was on a while back and she was mm-hmm. talking about her husband's work, Drew Brophy. He's a surf mm-hmm. artist. So he's kind of got that yeah. grungy, like bright, uh, a pothead look <laughs> like his art looks like pothead art. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> i'm not i'm not being insulting anyway he kind of originated yeah. that style there's one piece of art that he made she was talking about it and we have a picture of it it's called um pure joy and it's this uh kind of dude riding out of a tube uh you know bright neon yellows and oranges and the sun has a smiley face in it and it looks very 1960s she says it has been licensed so many times on so many products and that it has made them a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. A quarter of a million dollars wow. for one image. Wow. That's why we artists need to make the money now and not, you know, the gallery owners and the auctioneers and Sotheby's and whoever else after we're dead. That's not oh, fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> I will say, like, you know, you talk about, you know, gallery owners not yeah yeah i wholly hear what you're saying like after we're dead but i do think if people are concerned like oh if i sell with a gallery and then they get this money you know like i think i wanted to just throw in there that i personally love working with galleries even if they get you know half of what the sale oh but, yeah yeah i don't yeah, mean yeah i know you don't i know i just decided to say it <laughs> yeah no the gallery owners i've worked with have been great and they're super fun because most of the time they're artists themselves yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so finally success how do you measure success what makes you feel successful how do you measure it freedom of time you know being able to like you know i work for x number of days straight and i just keep working and then i'll go visit family for five days and i won't work at all you know so just being able to have that freedom Mm -hmm. is one measure of my success i think just having my own schedule is really awesome Yeah. Yeah. yeah It's amazing the different variety of what people um, measure success as, but most of the artists don't measure success financially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think only my photographer friend measured his oh. success kind of financially. <laughs> well, it's only a part of it, sure. But yeah, being able to live on it, sure. Yeah, I- but having the freedom, being yeah. able to pay the bills and yeah. have the freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I am, like I mentioned before, it does feel really good to be able to have been saving in the financial sense yeah. to be able to put money away right now. And yeah, but, you know, well, there you are kind of, you're doing a budget and saving. I, you are kind of measuring financially. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, wanna, I mean, I just want to make sure to, are you, are you, are we wrapping up? yeah yeah we're 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 winding down here that was the last question that was the last the s of success of appeals um yeah oh i see i didn't even realize you went through that you mentioned the beginning but i did i did i'm sly like that well i just wanted to say in terms of you know any artist listening to this just you know like i really just want to encourage anybody to do what they want to do i feel like you know art comes in all shapes and sizes and all colors and the mm-hmm. career that you choose with your art is everyone's path is different and like is built in different ways. You know, I personally love to diversify. I love to teach and I love to to license stuff and originals. But mm-hmm. do you want to learn do how to make money your with your art? I mean, but there's so many different bit ways. For time, like and you don't really have time to listen to every single episode. Well, what speaks to your free heart and do that. And there's just never, you, you know, like a lot of things, it's, make it's never money too with late your to, art. to do it. Mm-hmm. You can get your free download and, and it includes the top four things you need to do today to start making money with your art. So if you want to learn how to make money with your art, but you're pressed for time, get the free download over at 
howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. All one word, no spaces, all spelled out. That's howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. Get your free download now.